the exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles. The Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibition, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin DB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org backslash bond. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 654. It is On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, and we are back for another exciting episode of Ranking the Bonds. It is I, your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I am joined as always by my co-host for the Bond series, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. I am looking forward to this one. Uh, last time you got to do your favorite Bond movie, this time we get to do my favorite Bond movie. That's interesting. Okay, so how long has this one been your favorite? I'm curious. Pretty much since I actually saw it in the cinema in 1969. All right. So but, you know, for a long time, it was You Only Live Twice. But then, like I said last time, I sort of got overexposed to it. But uh, yeah, no, that's understandable. Well, right, yeah. So I'm curious. I got a couple of things to ask you then in that case. So... People that like this one the best tend to like, I think, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here. This is my, my reading on it, okay? I think people that like this one the best tend to like the Bond universe, the Bond idea, more than being attached to, like, Sean Connery or Roger Moore or whoever, right, or Daniel Craig. So would you say you're more of, like, a James Bond universe guy or, like, really hardcore Bond fan? You know what I mean? If there's a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, my interest in Bond is very broad, as you know. It's not just the movies. Right. I, you know, I'm not particularly attached to any one actor. Yes, I have my favorite. Um, but I'm not particularly attached to, like, one actor who's, like, the BN, be all and end all of Bond. Um, I love the books, the comics, the merchandise, all the stuff that fills this room that I'm sat in. So, yeah, no, it's not just, you know, uh, I have a very broad appreciation of the whole right. Bond, metaverse, multiverse, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's because I think that most people that consider this one the best or their favorite, which is not necessarily always the same thing, right, um, right. Or, or in their top five or whatever, it seems to me that most people that rank it up that highly um, – don't rank it that highly because they love George Lazenby. They may like George Lazenby. They may think he's okay, he's fine, he's good, but not that many people say, you know, he's my number one Bond easily. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I like George. You know, I've been lucky enough to meet him and chat with him, and he's mm-hmm. he's an interesting guy. Um, he knows the mistakes he made. He's, you know, he knows what happened. Uh, and we talked a lot about that when we reviewed the movie, and we're not going to necessarily get in that, into that tonight. Um but yeah, I don't think anybody would say I watched this because of George Lazenby. <laughs> like, people right. would like I watched this because it's a Sean Connery one, or I'll watch that like it's a Roger Moore one. Mm-hmm. People watch uh, people who enjoy this one enjoy it for it because of what it is as a movie. 
Right. That's yeah. that's a much better way of saying what I was trying to get at. Yeah, that's good. That's exactly yeah. Well, for those that don't know what we do here, uh, Alan and I, as Alan alluded to a moment ago, we did review everything exhaustively over the last two or three years. So just scroll back a little earlier in the timeline of this podcast and you can hear us review this movie and all the others in basically scene-by-scene detail. What we do in this new series, Ranking the Bonds, is we have a series of categories we're going to go through and discuss how we rank on a scale of 1 to 10 each of these categories for this particular movie. And then at the end, Alan kind of adds up the points, and he's kind of keeping track of how each movie stacks up on a kind of an aggregate basis rather than just how we feel about it, you know. So we're going to get things kicked off here. Do you have any preliminary information? You usually have something you want to kick us off with. Um, no, I think we were just going to jump straight into what was happening in the year 1969. In the year yeah. 1969. You know, um, I did want to say... It was a busy I, year. It was a year, and I have a little list here. Um, but I had a couple of notes first that I wanted to mention. I, this, I, you know, As I was alluding to, this is not a superficial action movie or comedy like some of them are, like Diamonds Are Forever or some of the Roger Moores. This movie really has a lot going on. I mean, this is... It's a James Bond movie, but this could just as easily be like a non-James Bond movie that's just a really good spy movie in some ways. In other ways, I know it fits very much tightly into the Bond, you know, well, not really the continuity in some ways, but it's just a broad, deep, there's just a lot to this movie. It's long compared is, to yes. some of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. compare, and you, and this, to right. like, I mean, the, compare this to like a view to a hill, kill, it's not even the same animal, you know what I mean? No, it's it's a very different Bond movie. Uh, you know, first time director, first time actor. Um, we'll get into this as we get into into some of the rankings. But yes, yeah. it's got a very different feel and flavor to it. It really does. It's still got still got the formula in there, but it's done in a very different way. Very different way, yeah. And and that's I think I think that's why it wasn't appreciated as much as it should have been originally, and why it's so much more appreciated now. Um, I have a question for you. It's not a trivia question because I don't know the answer. But this is, you know me, by all, after all the movies we've reviewed and how this all works, I always spot these weird things, right? Mm-hmm. Here's something I've spotted this time around. Almost every movie during the 60s, every Bond movie in the 60s so far, and it may have something to do with Ken Adams' set designs, but it seems like every movie we've seen so far up through 69 now has an open fireplace somewhere in it. Often on fire, but not always. But the one that I don't think it does is from Russia with Love. And I was so here's my trivia challenge for you and any other Bond fans listening: Is from Russia? Does A does from Russia with Love have a fireplace scene? And B, if it doesn't, is it the only one that doesn't? Because in Doctor No, there's a fireplace in uh, the underground lair in the final act when they go down in the underground. Uh, in Goldfinger, it's there's a fireplace that kind of closes down when he releases the gas. In um, uh, You Only Live Twice, there's at least one in the uh, in Blofeld's lair in the volcano. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in this movie, there's one in Bond's like hotel room in Piz Gloria. And in Thunderball, there's the one that he throws the widow into. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that one because they have the poker fight. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't so remember. The only one. place I can think of there might be one in From Russia with Love is in Rosa Klebb's office. Oh yeah. But I don't know. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. I hadn't yeah. noticed. I hadn't thought about that. I thought I you'd know. like it because this is the kind of stuff I notice for some strange reason. I don't know why, but 
But yeah, I didn't. I, I and I suspect it has something to do with Ken Adam. I suspect. So if anybody wants to let us know on yeah. the OHMS Pod Twitter feed if there is a fireplace in from Russia, we'd love where it is. We'd uh, yeah. we'd like to know. <laughs> It's always kind of that same design, too, with like the big flaring hood over yeah, it. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious now to see if there's going to be one in Diamonds are Forever, because it could be. And there's a lot of Vegas hotel rooms and stuff, so it could uh-huh. entirely be. All right, let's get into, as, as we always say, Michael Beggar's great suggestion, what was going on in the world around the time this movie came out. This is the first Bond movie to come out after I was born, so that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. We're into my lifetime now. Um, the... The 1964 Winter Olympics in Innsbruck, Austria, and the 68 Winter Olympics in Grenoble, France, had just happened, and I suspect that's why Blofeld's guys are wearing the orange Olympic jackets. Does that make sense to you, Alan? It does, and by the way, that was actually going to be one of my unanswered questions, but why why is Blofeld's guys carrying the Olympic thing? And it, it is interesting. They would not get away with that these days of having bad guys wearing jackets with the Olympic logo on them. Oh, they'd have a licensing deal, and it would be very strictly controlled yeah. for sure, yeah. I'm surprised they hadn't made them go through and blur it out retroactively. Yeah. Uh, let's see. In chronological order, Richard Nixon is sworn in as president. Uh, there's an assassin. I'm putting. I put mostly stuff that kind of relates to Bond and and uh, international espionage and all and, and politics. But there's a few other things. Uh, there was an assassination attempt on Leonid Brezhnev, the leader of the Soviet Union, that killed one person, but not Brezhnev. I never knew about that. I missed that entirely. Oh, I didn't know about that. Either. Maybe it was. Maybe it was Bond. <laughs> um, the I know you know this one. Last public performance by the Beatles. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, the rooftop concert as seen in the Get Back documentary. Get Back. First flight of a 747. Mariner 6 probe launched to Mars. Actually, just yeah. the 747 thing. I had that on my list too, but actually I just saw this morning. They just they are in the middle of building the last 747. Wow. Right now. Wow. It, the yeah. last 747 is currently on the production line. That's a good plane. It's lasted my lifetime exactly. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. It is. Um, Apollo 9, 10, 11, and 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apollo 8 was Christmas Eve of 68. And so 69, you actually had four Apollos, including the first one to land on the moon. And if you've watched any of For All Mankind, you know the, the controversy over Apollo 10 on that show is very entertaining. Uh, Sirhan Sirhan admitted to killing RFK and was sentenced. The Godfather novel was published, which is a great book. I just read a few months ago. Really, really good book. The Top Gun Jet Pilot School was established in California. Um, President Eisenhower died. The Harrier Jet, Jump Jet, enters service with the Royal Air Force. Ooh, that seems Which very you fun. see in The Living Daylights. The Living Daylights, yes. Uh, Venera probes land on Venus, the Soviet Venera probes, which basically landed and then immediately were crushed by the, by the atmosphere being so thick. The weathermen, weather underground are formed, the terrorist group, that kind of fits in with Bond. Uh, the Stonewall riots in New York City. Prince Charles is invested as Prince of Wales. I didn't realize it yeah. was that recent. Uh, the first troop withdrawals from Vietnam. The football war between Honduras and El Salvador over a soccer outcome, which is always a good reason to have a war. Uh, oh, here's a big one, and this is another one that is referenced on For All Mankind, Chappaquiddick. Uh, Ted Kennedy's car accident that essentially prevented him from ever being president, in some, some would argue, and it comes up 
in For All Mankind and shapes a lot of the story, how that plays out. So if you've ever watched that show, folks, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the old halfpenny ceases to be legal tender in the UK. Do you know anything about that, Alan? Oh, yes. Yeah, the old halfpenny. So if you hear people talk about a halfpenny or a halfpenny, that's what 69 was the last year it was in circulation. So they phased it out. It was just like like the penny now. They just there's just too many of them. It's not. Yeah, it, was, it just became worthless. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see the Beatles photo on Abbey Road, the Manson family murder of Sharon Tate and the other folks in her house, as portrayed in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino recently. And if that, you talk to George Lazenby, he will tell you he was meant to be there that night. Really? Yes. Holy cow! Yeah, he was invited to the party but did not go. Good. Great. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Yeah. I, it's, yes. it's sort of a cartoon. As everything Tarantino does, it's a, car, a cartoony take on it, but it is entertaining. It's and very in, good. Yeah. 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 And in fact... Particularly when at the end it doesn't go where you think it's going to go. No. That's, a whole, that's a whole other podcast. So. That's what would have happened if Lazenby had been there. See? No. <laughs> yeah. What happens in that movie. But I was going to say, the, the, the Brad Pitt... Uh, look in that movie was my was my Dragon Con costume about three years ago. I had the champion spark plug T-shirt and the Hawaiian shirt and the gold sunglasses and the and the belt. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, the troubles in Northern Ireland stuff. Woodstock. Woodstock is a huge thing. Ho Chi Minh dies yeah. in Vietnam. Monty Python's Flying Circus comes out. Uh, the first two Led Zeppelin albums come out, including the first one on my first birthday. It was destiny that I'd be a Zeppelin <laughs> There you go, fan. just for you. Just for me. The ARPANET sends the first, they sent, somebody sends the first message over the ARPANET, which is the military backbone that would eventually become the internet. Yes, the first communication signal between two separate computers. Yes. Um, yeah. Walmart is incorporated, Lord help us all. Uh, the My Lai Massacre, and finally, the first consistent color TV broadcast on BBC One. Yep. There you go. That's what I've got. You got any others? Yeah. Well, actually, I think, it, yeah. And it, it was for Wimbledon. Wimbledon was the first oh, okay. color event. Um, so I had one on my list that you did. Well, actually, I have two, but one that, that you do not have. The first Concorde test flight was 1960. Oh, wow. Supersonic transport. Yeah. Yeah. And little did I realize that I'd end up working on it decades later so that was cool um and the most important thing is a 10 year old alan porter won a competition in his local newspaper for two free tickets to go to the movies so he decided to take his dad to see the latest james bond movie uh and it changed his life <laughs> wow there you go yeah. all right man that's pretty cool I, I i don't know that i remembered your story that you won the tickets that's really awesome yeah that's really awesome all right i can't remember when i first saw this one because this is not one ABC. You know, again, I didn't have cable as a kid. Cable didn't even exist for some of my childhood. And when it did, we didn't have it out in the country. I lived out in the woods. And um, and so, you know, the only time I got to see James Bond until I saw The Spy Who Loved Me in the theater in 77, the only way I got to see them was when ABC would show them on Sunday night at the movies. And they, sh I've, I've mentioned this before, all ABC would show, and many of you know this, they would show Diamonds Are Forever, and live and let die over and over and over. Occasionally, you only live twice, but it was, and occasionally, um, the man with the golden gun. But mostly, they showed diamonds are forever and live and let die over and over and over. They just didn't show this one really much. 
Yeah, and as far as I'm aware, and this is what I've been told, because obviously I wasn't here to see it, but was that when they did show this one, they butchered it by moving whole chunks of it around yeah. and splitting it and, and adding some sort of narration to it as well. Oh, Lord. So, yeah. they Didn't they, like, divide it into two halves, too? And say, like, yeah, part divide, one, yeah, part two? yeah, move, move scenes around, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, not cool. Yeah, but I have never seen the ABC version, so thankfully. Well, the, f- the first time I ever actually got to watch this movie from start to finish the way it was supposed to be seen was when... Um, I got these box sets of the DVDs back around 2005, 2006, and it was a revelation. I put this one on, and I was enthralled. I was like, man, this is an awesome movie. How do I have? I've never seen this before. How did I not know that? You know, So I think it's really gotten that reputation over the last 15 years, probably. All right, so let's get into the categories and the rankings, shall we? Okay. So our first one is plot, story, what do you rank, and why? The plot and the story. What do you have for this one? Uh, right, so starting off with my usual thing of is it a good adaptation of the Fleming story? Yeah, this is probably the closest and most faithful of all the Fleming adaptations. I mean, it really is incredibly close to the book. Um, I think there's just a couple of location changes, um, but not much else. I mean, it really is. Um, the Angels of Death uh, in the book are all British as opposed to international, and he's Blowfell's focusing just on the UK, not the world. But otherwise, it's pretty much the book on screen. Um, so, choosing that. And then my second thing is plausibility. You were talking about this movie being different. I heard somebody the other day describe this movie as three different movies together. Hmm. That The first third is a romance. The middle bits are light comedy, <laughs> bedroom farce. Mm-hmm. And then it segues into a really great action-adventure movie. Yeah, And I was like, yeah, that's right. It is actually. It's three shot. It's and if you you know, but it works when you mess the three genres together. So that's why it's so long. Together. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it's so long. Um, I think it's great. I mean, it builds on the con- concerns at the time about biological warfare and the outbreak of foot and mouth in the UK. I really remember that. That was a huge thing when I was growing up. Hmm. Was the foot and mouth um, outbreak, which he references in the movie. Um, and I know some people, and Jill's among them, thinks the high hypnosis thing is a bit far fetched. Um, but I don't think it is because I actually um, did a, one of my Sherlock Holmes stories was uh, I had somebody in it who claimed to be hypnotized to commit murder. And that was based on a historical case where somebody did actually go to court to prove that they committed murder under hypnosis hmm. and weren't responsible for their actions. So I think there's I, I think it's yeah, it's the most um, human, the most tragic of the Bond stories. Oh, yeah. uh, it doesn't lurch into sentimentality. Um, so, yeah, overall, I, I gave it a nine out of ten. So. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, I gave it an eight, and and it's it's I don't I don't know why it's not my favorite story necessarily, but I think there are a couple of others, including last time, that I probably like a little better. Um, but yeah, it has so much. It has. It, I mean, every time you think, oh, yeah, this is a movie that has this and this and this, that must be all it has. And then it's like, oh, there's that whole thing. Oh, then there's that. It just has a lot of stuff going on in it. It does, yeah. I mean, you could leave out two or three set pieces from this movie, and it would still have more stuff going on than most of the Roger Moore Bonds, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, and I had to mention, too, in terms of the story, 
Tracy's mom is English, and she goes to Corsica looking for bandits in the mountains. And that's pretty much the background of Mario Puzo's The Sicilian, which I just read last month. So I was like, yeah. I've heard that in the, I've heard that scene a million times. It just went right in in one ear and out the other. And this time when 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 uh, when Draco said that, I was like, whoa, that's The Sicilian, <laughs> and it hadn't been written. It's a thing. Yes, it, yeah. it is a thing. Yeah. 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 Because the, the whole plot of the Sicilian is this uh, bandit in the mountains that's being chased by the Carbonari, the, the police. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, that's so funny. So, All right. We have unanswered questions category. I have a couple. What do you have for unanswered question? Uh, I have a couple. And the big one that everybody brings up, why didn't Blofeld recognize Bond to start with? Why did they ignore the fact that they've met each other? My, it was It's a movie, guys. There's no continuity <laughs> in Bond. Forget about it. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, like people you said, wrap, Peter wrap themselves around the axle on this one. I'm like, no, just, no, just, just, it's, it's it's like you said, Peter Hunt basically filmed the book, and the yeah. books weren't going along with how the movies had gone along. No, so they're, the they're a completely different order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, what else you got? Uh, so, why did Tra- this one? I've never worked out. Why did Tracy send Bond to her room when the bodyguard was waiting? Where the bodyguard was waiting while she went to Bond's room. I've never been sure which room is which. My first thought was maybe he goes to his own room first, and that's where the guy attacks him, and then he goes yeah. to Tracy's room. But is the caviar in the wrong room then? Because doesn't he eat some of the I caviar? I haven't thought about that. I, I need to go back and check the room numbers when she says what the room number is. Yeah. I, I, I well, think that might I, be the explanation. Maybe I've had their rooms switched all these years. I, you know, okay. it may be, but it, it may be that it may be that the caviar. Remember, he says send up, send the caviar and the champagne Pain, yeah. to her room. So yeah, whichever, which is why I assumed it was her room. Yeah. So whichever room the champagne and the caviar is in, that's her room. And if it's the one where the guy attacks him, then you're right the first time. Yeah. And that, and I don't, because doesn't he eat it and then walk out the door and go to and the other room? And then he walks out and goes to the other room. Yeah. Okay. Well, that feeds right into one of my unanswered questions, which okay. is that I it's. It's the same issue that I had, one of the issues I had with You Only Live Twice, which is actions by the flunkies, the henchmen, don't make any sense. Why, if these people are kind of Bond's allies or at least trying to get him on their side, why do they keep trying to kill him? If they just want him to come talk to Draco, and why do they try to kill him in the beginning, in the opening scene? Well, originally their job is to protect Tracy so they don't know who he is but they hold a knife to her throat but I was going to say but they hold a knife to her throat so that makes no sense no yeah I just I don't understand what the flunkies are doing in these movies they they're all over the place yeah I don't get it all right well that's an unanswered question here's my other answer question and I probably could have found more but eh you know this is plenty my other unanswered question is when Bond wakes up in the morning and Tracy is gone, right, from the hotel room. Mm-hmm. It's the morning, presumably. I mean, he hasn't slept all day. It must be no oh, yeah. later than 11 a.m., right? Something. He expects she'll still be there, so it clearly can't be like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? He wakes up. It's, it's the morning. Yeah. He even orders breakfast, okay? Then he goes to the front desk where he is kidnapped by those guys who put him in a car, drive away... And in the next scene, they're arriving at their destination, and it's nighttime. Did they drive for like 15 hours? Where did they go? (laughs) I mean, did they kidnap him in Portugal and drive him to Turkey or something? 
What? what? That was actually because in the book, Draco's offices are in Marseille, so that was always my thing of did they drive him from Portugal to the south of France to Draco's offices in Marseille? But later on, I found that those, his it's all meant to be set in Portugal, so I don't know. I just pulled Portugal out of the air. It actually is in Portugal. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. What are the odds? Um, yeah, but how? Did they drive for like twelve hours holding a knife on him and a gun on him? I just, yeah. I just, I mean, that just doesn't work for me. I don't know. But there's a scene similar to that in Lord of the Rings that also drives me crazy. So oh, there's numerous ones where the time of day thing doesn't pan yeah, out. So. Doesn't match up. All right. Okay, so I have one more. Yes. At the end of the movie, why did Bond leave Blofeld hanging in the tree? Why didn't he go back and finish him off? Yeah, that. Did he think he was dead? Yeah, but he didn't go and check, did he? <laughs> well, no, he didn't. Sorry. I guess he knew that Diamonds Are Forever was coming, and he needed to make sure he was around <laughs> for it. Yeah, no, good, good question. He, Bond does stuff like that occasionally. You know, it's like uh, it's like when Jamie Lee Curtis kills Michael Myers and then walks away before he gets up again and starts chasing her again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, movie thing, movie thing. Kind anyway, of the ro- okay. Roadrunner and the Coyote. Yeah. Um, all right, locations. Uh, locations. What do you think? Uh, well, we just talked about Portugal. So I think you've got three here. You've got Portugal. So you've got the beaches, the ranch with the bull ring, mm-hmm. um, the hotel. It's all nice, but really it could have been anywhere in Southern Europe. I, think. I didn't know where it was. Um, we got London, um, some good London sequences, but they cut the best London sequence. There is actually a foot chase. I think we talked about it when we did the review. There is actually like a seven-minute foot chase across the roofs of London and the streets of London and then down into the underground that they cut. Oh, um, wow. Which is a shame. Yeah. Um, but really, the star of the movie is Switzerland. I mean, most of the movie set in Switzerland. It is the absolute star. Just the, the the cinematography, the locations, the way it's filmed, the way they the way they use the locations, um, and of course, literally topping it all off, you've got Peace Gloria. Well, that's um, you know where they basically paid the restaurant people to fi- they paid them to finish building it to make it into a movie set and then gave them the restaurant. Uh, yeah, it's just amazing. So um, I, it's just, I think it's just visually one of the most stunning of the Bond movies. Um, so for me, the locations, again, was a, was another 9 out of 10. So Yeah, there, I think Piz Gloria is up there with the volcano base in terms of iconic visual yeah villain layers it's really really fantastic it's kind of the opposite of the volcano base it's up in the air like that on a mountain rather than a hole yeah um but i but i agree with you the others were kind of lackluster so i give it an eight i have a lot of eights for this movie <laughs> so i'm gonna it's okay say, yeah all right um i'm glad you told me it was portugal because i probably knew that and forgot a long time ago the main villains and in this one i guess that would be blofeld a blofeld not the blofeld but one of i guess Four now that we've four, had? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we talked a bit. I, I sort of gave this one away on the last episode when we were talking about the Donald Pleasance Blofeld. Tally Savalas for me is the best of the four. Um, he's my top Blofeld. I love the fact he's he's a doer. He leads from the front. He confronts Bond. He outwits Bond. Um, he's a ladies' man. You know, he flirts with Tracy. He's a fighter. He gets in there. I mean, he gets you know. Um, and I love the fact that he can go from charm to threat mm-hmm. in an instant. He he has that sort of, and he's he's got a very. They said you know Connery used to sort of move a bit like a panther. Well, I think Telly Savalas in this moves a bit like a, a panther. And do you know what made me appreciate it even more? And this is sort of sidetracking, but I actually watched The Dirty Dozen the other night. 
which was the year before this, I think. He filmed okay. it before he filmed this, where he plays a completely different type of villain, mm-hmm. where he basically plays a psychotic villain. And then watching him in this just made me appreciate what he did in this even more. So um, so thanks to the Dirty Dozen, he got bumped from an eight to a nine. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I can tell you the difference between these two Blofelds. When they were kids in school... The Donald Pleasance Blofeld was the nerdy Blofeld that was beaten up by the other kids and became a supervillain to get back at them. The Telly Savalas Blofeld was the strange kid that nonetheless is the coolest kid in the class and kind of tells everybody what to do. The Telly Savalas Blofeld would have had his friends beat up the Donald Pleasance Blofeld. That's how I see it. <laughs> yes, yeah. He's a leader. The, the, the Donald Pleasance one doesn't come over as a leader. Telly Savalas no. comes over as a, a natural leader. So. Yeah, you, 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 as a as a Spectre member, you follow Donald Pleasant's Blofeld because he's so creepy and and psychotic that you're you're worried he's going to just have you fed to sharks or something. But you're more likely to follow the Telly Savalas Blofeld because you think he's going to help you get rich and be powerful and all that. I think Is that. Yeah, that yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I think so. All right, so I ha- I have uh, the Telly Savalas Blofeld in eight, and it's an eight. Just because I do think he's really good, but as Blofeld, I just I like the other two Blofelds better. I appreciate him for what he's doing here. Absolutely, he's just never been my favorite Blofeld. In fact, he's probably my least favorite Blofeld. Well, no, not anymore. He's not my least favorite Blofeld anymore. <laughs> that all changed a few years ago, um, unfortunately. All right, next up is supporting henchmen. So we and got. Women. Sorry, I said and women. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, talking to the women, we've got Irma Bunt. Yes. I yep. think brilliant, great character, act done by a great actor, works, again, like Chatterley Savalas, she works well as both the charmer and the mother hen looking after the girls, but she can turn into a cold-blooded killer oh, yeah. and the leader of the goons with ease. I mean, you know, when <laughs> she's off chasing Bond and stuff, and, yeah, she, you know, there's a real sense of menace there. Um, so... Actually, even just a nod, snow, ice line is like, ooh, you know, <laughs> gives you that little chill. Um, sure. So, uh, yeah, I think she's great. Um, then you've got uh, Gruntha, the uh, the guy who's the lurking menace who has the cool fight with Tracy. Uh, I think he's he's mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, you mentioned Draco's, hench- Draco's henchmen who turn into allies. Yeah, okay. Um, I think overall they're a fairly good bunch, but none of them are iconic. Even Irma Bunt doesn't really come out as iconic. No. So I think they're all good. They all add to the to the movie. Um, none of them, I think, are, are like a waste of space as some of the other henchmen. Like, uh, was it Hans in the preceding? Forgotten his name. Hans in You Only Live Twice. It was like instantly forgettable, obviously. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I think these overall is a good bunch here, but none are iconic. So I gave them a seven. I gave them a four. For the reasons okay. you stated, but because, I mean, you make a good point that Irma Bunt is, is, is good. But I think the problem for me with her is that she she's so understated that you kind of take her for granted. I hadn't really appreciated much about her until you said that there were some things to appreciate. And when you said that just now, I kind of went, huh, yeah, I guess she is pretty good. But she's so understated. She's, she's, you know, that she never, like, if you compare her to the woman in From Russia with Love. Oh, you know, yeah, she's not she, a 
Fiona she, Volpe. She had, you know, she'd all of a sudden explode and be like, ah, yo, and stuff. And um, Irma Bunt is just kind of one note, low. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I, I disagree with the one note, but I know what you mean about being understated. I mean, a lot of people forget that she's the one who kills Tracy. People say, oh, Blofeld shot Tracy in the end, and it wasn't Blofeld. Yeah. It was Irma Bunt that shot Tracy. That's right. But a lot of people forget that because she is a very understated character Um, that's a very good way of putting it yeah all right uh i'll stand by it um we have a new category alan is so excited when i add new categories but it's not (laughs) it's not a numerical category so he needn't redo his spreadsheet uh it is a category where we just answer yes or no and if you have any reasons why you can and that is would this movie have been better with jaws or odd job in it Alan would, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, have been better with odd, with 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 odd, with Jaws or Odd Job in it. Um, well, as, as you you know, my answer to the Jaws question is no, because I can't stand Jaws. So no movie is better with Jaws in it, even the ones oh, he's in. Um, or Odd Job. I think actually no, but I think it comes back to what we said. None of the henchmen have quite got that iconic. Maybe it could have done. I mean, yeah. it's almost damn near perfect, but could. They have sort of made Irma Bunt a bit more iconic, closer to a Fiona Volpe character, maybe. Yeah, that's where I'm going with it. I I, I would put it this way. Even though I just made the question up, um, I'm going to change it slightly from my answer and say, I don't know that I want Jaws or Odd Job specifically in it, but an, but an Odd Job type villain who had a little more personality a little more flair might have been appreciated. But then again, on the other hand, this is not a movie where that really, you know, yeah, this, really this, matter, movie, right? this movie doesn't go into the cartoony stuff the way that some of them do. No, no. So probably not, I guess. Yeah. All right. We're to the Good Bond question, Girls. though, even if you do keep springing them on me. <laughs> I'm going to keep at This, this is going to stay in there for the for the duration. So uh, we'll see if there's any... If there's any it's going to be by, funny. By the, time, we, by the time we get to No Time to Die, this show's going to be twice as long because you've added like another 25 questions. <laughs> I know, and that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> what's going to be funny is when I ask you that about, I ask you that question about the spy who loved me and you say no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're to the Bond girls. So how do you how do you rate the Bond girls in this film? Uh, well, we just mentioned Tracy, Diana Rigg. She, I, she's got to be the best Bond girl. She's smart. She's capable. She's sexy, she's a lover, she's a fighter, she knows the classical literature. That scene with her and Blofeld is just amazing. Um, she's the one, you can un- understand Bond wanting to marry her. She can drive fast cars, which, by the way, Diana Rigg did most of the stunt driving in that movie. Kudos to her, mm-hmm. um, as well as a lot of the fighting, because obviously she's already training that for doing the Avengers. Um so, yeah, I, I mean, she is the standard, I think, which all other Bond girls are measured against. And she's the only Bond girl that, or Bond love interest that's been constantly referenced throughout the rest of the, the franchise. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she's perfect. Um, and then you've got the Angels of Death. Um, I will say out of all those, all those beautiful women, I mean, my God, you've got Catherine Schell, Jenny mm-hmm. Hanley, Anushka Hempel, Julie Edge, and, of course, the divine Joanna Lumley, Annie Beds Ruby, and... No disrespect to. <laughs> she was the most enthusiastic and receptive. It seemed like I know, but, um, Shell, yeah. even even early on, I was like, 
really? Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I don't think she was helped because I've seen her in other things and she's a gorgeous looking woman and I don't think the, the makeup and the glasses yeah. and the, the wig helped. Um, so, yeah, you've got Diana Rigg, you've got the Angels of Death, uh, a lot of beautiful women. I, I just put it down as a 9 out of 10. So, um, Yeah, Diana Rigg is amazing. I watched Game of Thrones, obviously, and she was even in there, still around, you know, for that recently to be a great great character in in that um i would you know it's funny you mentioned that she's the one that keeps getting referenced and it's funny i think there are two bond girls that gets referenced that get that get referenced the most after they've been bond girls ever and that's her within the movies and obviously pussy galore outside of the movies for her the name just for her name but i think those are the two that you hear about and of the two i prefer the reason that that diana rigg gets referenced because she's mrs bond so um, I gave them, yeah, a nine and it's because Tracy is awesome. She's one of the best. And, um, I do like the angels of death a lot. Um, I'm a huge Catherine shell fan. She was Maya on the second season of space yep. 1999. So yep. I love her for that. Always will love her for that. So yeah. And then, and then was it Ruby? She's fun. I mean, that's the thing is that all the others are fun, beautiful, yeah. but she's got that bubbly personality that, and I mean, you know, the others are playing it coy, and she's basically throwing herself. She's not throwing herself at Bond. She's lying down in front of his car as he tries to drive <laughs> out the driveway. So, yeah, I mean, you understand why the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? So, there you go. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. So, a nine from both of us for the Bond girls. What about the Bond allies? And we have a classic Bond ally. We have a very interesting gray Bond ally in this one. We do with Marc-Andre Draco. Um for me, he's one of my top tier allies. He's one of the top three, um, particularly when it comes to setting up the rescue and the attack on Peace Gloria. Oh, yeah. um, and just the fact that he can, you know, manipulate Bond as well, um, you know, uh, uh, and stuff. Um, and I actually also like the uh, the back and forth between him and Emma at the end where they, it turns out that they've got history as well. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, um, Marc-Andre Draco, I think, was brilliant. Um, beautifully played. Um I also like it. You could say he's an ally, Sir, Sir Hilary Bray. Yeah, that's true. Um, George Baker. I think he was a fun character. I would, wouldn't have minded seeing him return at some point, dealing with the consequences of Bond having used his name. I think that would have been fun. Um, Who was the blonde-headed, curly-headed guy that was there? So, and then you've got Cam. That's Campbell. But um, okay. uh, he came across as a bit of an idiot. He did. Um, and it sort of led to his own demise. Um, that character's not quite so much of an idiot in the book as he is here. Um, so yeah, I sort of, but because of, uh, Marc-Andre Draco and Sir Hilary Bray, I, again, it was another nine out of 10 for me. A lot of allies in this movie, more than I always remember. Let me ask you this. What would you, what would you think if, if, if one of the official Bond writers did a novel where right after the end of this movie, Draco in a rage diverts all of his forces and his fortune to going after Blofeld and Irma Bunt and destroying them. Okay. There isn't actually that, but there is a Raymond Benson one. Okay. Where Bond actually encounters Draco several years later and Draco's actually remarried. But Bond, basically early on in the book, Bond goes on a mission and there's a friendly fire incident and a woman gets killed and it actually turns out it's Draco's second wife. Oh, good gosh. So now Draco wants to kill Bond. So now Draco wants to kill Bond, and then it ends up with Draco and Bond going together after after the main villain. Um, but they have this love-hate relationship. Yeah, oh, like, I'm sure. Uh, 
thing going because now you know Bond's killed his got his daughter killed and his and his wife killed. So well, yeah. I just kept thinking, what did Drake? So that's a Raymond do? Benson one. I'm trying to remember which one it is. Um, yeah. It's one of the Union Union trilogy. But oh, I can't is remember it? which one well, it is. Now I, my head. I've got those right over there. Now I'm going to go dig them out because I want to read that. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at a lot of my shelves to <laughs> see if I can figure out which one but, it is. But. but I'm just saying, I just started thinking, what did Draco do after, right after this movie? He had to be in a right. rage and grief. And surely, I think they're, you know, yeah. I know that Bond goes after Blofeld and we kind of get a little bit of that in, in, in Diamonds Are Forever. Not enough. But surely Draco jumped on him too and tried to track him down and destroy him and everything. He wasn't going to put him on trial or anything. He was going to, you know, have him yeah, yeah. whacked. Yeah. Or, I mean, you could do a really good story with just Irma Bunt, right? Where Draco finds out that it was Irma Bunt. You don't even need Blofeld. It's just have Draco's men chasing Irma Bunt around the world. That'd be a cool story, you know? I mean, that'd be cool. So have her like living on Tahiti, hiding out in a different identity and everything because they keep hounding her, you know? That'd be a cool story. I would read that. All right. All right. So, what did you what did you score the allies? Allies an eight, and I just really love eight. Draco. Uh, there's a lot of allies. Most of them are not that great, but I do love him a lot. He is one of the classics. He reminds me a lot of 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 Karen Bay, kind yeah. of a father figure, uncle figure to Bond. You know, the, my top three: are Draco, Karen Bay, and Tiger Tanaka. Oh, for so. sure, 100 yeah. percent for sure. All right, we're to the vehicles, and you know, my note here is that. I don't really like the cars that much in this movie, but the movie does a really good job of making them seem cool. And I'll give them that credit. So take it away. Um, well, actually, the Aston Martin that he drives in this is actually my favorite Aston Martin. If I had a dream Aston Martin to own, it's that one. It's the DBS. That's 1969 <coughs> DBS. Which, where, and when, when in the movie is he driving that? Help me, help me to focus. In the opening sequence. So oh, well, right. That's right. his... That's his car at the beginning. Yeah. There's so much in this movie, I almost forget the opening And at the end. Sequence. And oh. at the end, it's the one that trade. The one thing that right. clearly does not have is bulletproof glass. No. Um, geez. The one time, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I love I loved that Aston Martin DBS. Uh, Roger Moore also drove one in the Persuaders, which made it even more my dream car to own. <laughs> so. um, and then we have the beautiful Mercury Cougar, Tracy's car. Um, you know how I feel about that one when I drooled all over it when we were in Los Angeles together. So. You walked up and, and said... I love you. Love you. Yes. <laughs> that's the so, one with the skis on the back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That red um, one with the skis. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And of course, you know, uh, Jill and I got to work on it as well, which was beautiful, great. Um, and the stock car race is full of Ford Escorts, which was my first car, and Minis, which my family's always driven Minis and we still do. So for me, this is like the perfect car <laughs> movie in the Bond. So I gave it. This is the one thing I actually, one of the couple of ones that I actually did give a full 10 out of 10 because this is my perfect, doesn't have little Nelly in it, I'll give it that, but it, other than that, it's um, it's 10 out of 10 for the vehicles in this one because I love every single, pretty much every single car other than the Mercedes that the bad guys drive, but you know, they're the bad guys. I don't like the cars in this movie, even though they do try to make them seem cool. I gave the I like the red car, but it's a Ford. I immediately deduct points because I can't stand any <laughs> Ford product. Uh, I remember in I, we talked about how in Ford versus Ferrari, I rooted for Ferrari. I hate Ford so much. Um, so I give the cars a three. I give the cable car one, and I give the luge the what do you call Bob it? Sleds. A bobsled a one. So I give a total of five. Okay, total of five. Yeah, not my favorite car Bond movie. So, 
There we go. But I do like the red. I like the way the red car with the skis on the back looks. It's just not my kind of car. Um, the You're gadgets. Well, okay. Are there gadgets in? <laughs> are there gadgets in this movie? I don't even. Uh, I think the only one that comes to mind is the photocopier with the safe cracking device attached to it. Yeah, a Xerox machine with a hose <laughs> on it. Yeah, that's that's handy. A transporter size if you have a well, mixer nearby. Sixty nine photocopiers were still pretty leading yeah. edge technology. That was pretty yeah. new stuff. So it's true. That's true. Um, by the way, talking about cars. But by the way, I just think what what is the use case where somebody came into the Q, a Q branch and said. We need something where we can actually open a safe and photocopy and copy all the What's in it? documents in it. Yeah. And then put it in the cement mixer out the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or else we... Bond, the double O's carried in like, you know, like a suitcase. <laughs> yeah. Hi, nothing to see here. Just uh, going to work. La, la, la. Oh, boy. Now, about the cars, though, it occurred to me, have we, I guess because of either contractual or just they didn't like them, whatever, I don't think there's ever been a Corvette in a Bond movie. There's been no, like they've nearly always been Ford, yeah. Ford brands or yeah, yeah. Or Aston Martin, Lotus, BMW, but no, no, no yeah, Motors. no, I don't think they've ever there's ever been a no GM in general. Yeah, all right. You'd think that have been a Hummer by now. There was American Motors, didn't that? Yeah, it's American Motors. Yeah, there was AMC. Yeah, for a while there, but no Hummer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so gadgets, so we gadgets. decided there wasn't yeah, so a lot. The gadgets got, oh, and there was the radioactive lint. I was waiting for that one, yes, radioactive <laughs> lint, yes. But nothing ever happened with that. They, that no. never played out. So they got well, a two. It was like one for the radioactive lint and one for the photocopier. M dismissed it like out of hand. Then it's like, <laughs> not interested in that. Move on, Q. So what would you give them, a two? Two, yeah, one for each. One for the photocopier and one for the lint. All right, I'll try to make up for some of my harshness earlier. I'll give him a three just because uh, one. Well, you know what? I'm going to give him two and then one more for three because he gets out the old gadgets from the first several movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. But doesn't he doesn't actually use them. They just, yeah. Pulls out the string on the watch. How did yeah. he get... Uh, how did he get the belt and the knife from Ursula Andress? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how did he end up with that? I mean, didn't she need her belt and her knife at some point? You would have thought so, yeah. 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 Maybe he traded her a new set of encyclopedias. or Yeah, what, yeah it's encyclopedias that she <laughs> Videos, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. All right, so not a big gadget movie, but that fits with the movie theme, I think. Yeah. All right, the pre-credit... Oh, this is going to be interesting. The pre-credit sequence, which is the car chase slash... Pulling her out of the ocean slash fighting the weird thugs that don't make any sense on the beach segment. And then the famous line. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I think this is, does it stand alone as a mini movie? Yes, it sort of does. Um, you can, you, you know, you can watch it and it sort of makes sense on its own. So I think it stands up as that. I think it does a good job of introducing the new Bond. I particularly like the early stuff where all you see is the his face in shadow, him lighting the cigarette. You don't get the full reveal of the face until sort of... Tracy sees his full face. I think that's really well done. Um, but again, it's a good fight scene. I think it's a good introduction to the physicality of George Lazenby and his fighting skills. Um, so I, th I think that it works well from that. But again, why did these guys appear to threaten Tracy when they were in fact her bodyguards and meant to be back? Didn't get that. No. And then you've got the fourth wall breaking line, which I sort of, I go backwards and forwards on. Some days I like it, some days I don't. Um, so it got a seven out of 10 for me. I gave it a seven as well. Yeah, I like that line. I just, 
I have to deduct points for it not making a lot of sense why they do the things that they do. I just yeah. I, I, mean, I think we talked talked about this when we did the movie. I think the, I wish they'd have just left that line and not done the thing you were just talking about with the gadgets. And we'll talk about it in the pre opening credits too. I think they they hammered it too much that this is the same. They sort of tried to have their cake and eat it. Right. He broke the fourth wall and was like, "Oh, I'm a new guy," and then I'm the rest of guy. the movie was like, "Oh no, this is the same guy." Yes, it's like. Yeah, yeah, pick a lane, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and as we're about to talk about the the credit sequence, the credit sequence is, hey, remember all that cool stuff that this guy did before? Well, he's he's, he's going to do some more now, you know. And so, yeah, it's yeah. it's like they can't really decide which way it, yeah. they wanted to go. That's right, that's right. Um, okay, so I gave it a seven. I said the same thing. I don't understand why these guys were trying to kill him, but I do like the last line. All right. So the credit sequence, this is the one I'm really interested in because there's a lot going on here. Yeah, I mean, I I like the music. I love the music. Oh, yes. I love the iconography, Britannia, the clock, the hourglass, Bond's figure going through it. Um, we just talked about it. I don't like the previously in Bond yeah. flashbacks, you know? Um, Especially the karate guy going, <laughs> that, that yeah. annoys me every yeah. time. Takes me right out of it every time. Yeah, so that takes me out of it. Again, it's the, you know, pick a lane. Just, just if this is going to be George's movie, make it George's movie. Don't put that stuff in. Yeah. But it's got such brilliant music and the iconography in it is great. And again, was reused it a lot in, in referencing No Time to Die. Um, so not, not just the music, but the iconography was, was referenced as well. Um, Color-wise, it fits with the rest of the movie. It has that nice, lush look. I just don't like the the flashback sequences in it. So uh, it got a seven from me. The the thing that strikes me about this credit sequence is that it seems very much like Maurice Bender, and yet it's different from the other Maurice Benders. And it may, I think, a lot of it has to do with that music. The other Bond themes tend to be slower and majestic, right? And or bold and brassy, but still a lower tempo. Whereas, you know, like go finger. You know, whereas mm. this is dun 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 dun. And so, because the music is galloping, right? The music is just galloping through the whole credit sequence. The visuals are faster, and yeah. I really think that with Maurice Bender's graphics the faster things move around the better because the one i've noticed that the ones of his i don't like are where stuff is static on the screen and just sits there long enough for you to go that's kind of dumb you know like the the neon stuff later and the women with yeah, yeah. on them and all it's just dumb but this one is just bang bang did a bang did a bang did a bang and stuff is coming and going and even the stuff that's kind of on the screen for a few seconds, like the, like Bond with the clock, whatever, it's moving. There's constant movement. Everything is moving and moving and moving. It's almost hypnotic if it wasn't that it's just so fast. Yeah. Um, and then it's like it's shocking you. It's keeping you awake. It's making you go, oh, what is that? And then you got the women. And it's, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know this better than me, this is one of, if not the first one, where the women are clearly just naked and, you know, they got that sticking their <laughs> chest out. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because in any other context, that would look cheesy and like um, hooters or something. You know what I mean? 
But in yeah. this context, they've got that, and they've got like the crown, the lions, they got all the royal stuff around it, and somehow that kind of elevates it. Somehow a naked woman sticking her boobs out suddenly seems really classy. And yeah. I'm watching this and going, <laughs> wow. And so this one really blows me away. I give this one a nine. You can. I'm, I, and for reasons I've stated, I think it's just, it's unique. It's unique. In the if it didn't have the flashback sequences, I think I'd give it a nine too. Yeah. So. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And that music, I mean, that, I, I don't know that they'd ever pull the trigger on doing another instrumental, but it really works here. Especially since yeah. there's another song later that has lyrics that's just as well, big. Well, ne- our next one's the, the theme song. So what, what are we talking about in the theme song? Oh, are we talking oh, oh. about the... I forgot one thing. Um, yeah? Time, 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 right? It's neat that it's playing one song, but the visuals reference the other song. So, yes. Which references the last line of the movie. Yeah. It's all tied together really well. Plus, I keep hearing Pink Floyd's time every time. <laughs> every time I watch these credits, I'm like, I hear it. Ding, 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 ding. You know, so there you go. All right. Now, theme song. Go ahead. Sorry. So, well, are we talking about the John Barry's Unimagined Secret Service theme? Or are we talking about we have all the time in the world? I'll give you my answer. It doesn't matter because it would be 10 out of 10 either way. Yes. Um, because the, the John Barry's theme is my personal... His theme for this movie is my personal um, favorite. I think I've told this story, but when I was doing a, a, a speaking gig and stuff, the uh, the AV guy decided everybody should have a personal walk-on music for when you walk on stage. <laughs> and he picked this for me without actually even asking me, and it's sort of become my <laughs> my theme, my personal theme tune, so all that's right. fine. That's cool. Uh, and we, we have all the time in the world. It's just an absolute classic, so yes. I, I, I either doesn't matter what theme song we're talking about is it's 10 out of 10 for me it's that's it, it yeah we have all the time in the world is is just like um as time goes by they're both songs that were made for movies and yet they seem timeless and bigger than even the movies they came from yeah the interesting thing about all the time in the world i, I was on another podcast talking about this movie uh, a couple of weeks ago um and people forget, we have all the time in the world completely tanked in 1969. It did not chart. It was completely ignored. Um, it actually only became famous in the UK in the mid-90s when it was used for a beer commercial. Wow. And then it charted, and then people were like, this is a great song. What's it from? <laughs> and so it's only really the people in the Bond See, this is cracks me up about No Time to Die, because it's only really people in the Bond community who relate it back to that movie. Mm-hmm. So when it, I always think about somebody going to see No Time to Die and they start playing it and they're like, why are they playing a song from a beer commercial at this really poignant moment in the movie? Um, but uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you see it the other way around, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that's just like um, people have all heard as time goes by and they don't know it comes from Casablanca. So Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a great song. Um, mm-hmm. We have all the time in the world and it's become a classic and rightly so. Yeah. Somebody else said... I, said on that podcast that I was on this is one of the ones that you just hear on the radio I was going to say time and time again you just hear it on the radio a lot and it it has a life outside of it being in a Bond movie Mm -hmm. which a lot of the others don't a lot of the others it's like I know this because it was a Bond theme song this one people love it just because it's a great song so absolutely right yeah Yeah. I I gave the music a 10 here's the funny thing though it's not my it's not in my top three Bond songs, the main theme song. But it's close enough that when you add in We Have All the Time in the World, I, you got to give it a 10 for the whole package. The whole package yeah. gets a 10, even though neither one of them is in my top 
three. So yeah, yeah. Together they're a ten. What about Which overall music us, score? Uh, it's my favorite John Barry score. It's the one I put on the most. It's the one I listen to. It's a straight ten for me. I think it's an absolutely luscious score. He, I mean, he talked about uh, if you look at the interviews around then, because they knew they weren't going to have Sean Connery and stuff. He felt he really had to bring his a, a plus game and make the 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 the, the music such an essential part of the, the movie and even by bond standards it really does i mean it just really supplements the visuals and the great cinematography and the action uh, i think it's perfectly scored so yeah it's a, it's a 10 for me and it's a great album just to sit and listen to outside of them again outside of the movie itself i have you only live twice album this is the one i'm gonna get next i only have the one but i don't but if the next time i get one it'll be this one this will be my yeah. second one. Yeah. So, yeah, I gave it a 10 as well. Um, all right. Cool. What has aged the best? Um, what held up well? The look and the, we talked about it. The look and the sound of this movie. This is a beautiful movie. Um, it's got great humanity. It's warm humor. The dialogue, I talked about it, especially that exchange between Blofeld and Tracy. I thought it was great. The stunt work. The stunt work is still stunning. You think about, oh, I've forgotten the guy's name again, unfortunately, the, 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 the stunt guy who basically skied backwards with a camera. Um, you know, the, the um, yeah, and this is probably going to be my controversial. What held up well for me? Actually, George Lazenby. George Lazenby's acting. Each time I watch it, I see more subtlety in his acting. Maybe I'm just reading things that aren't there. Um, but he's brought the most human bond. I really can't imagine any of the other five guys playing this movie as well as george did i hate the fact that they dubbed in the middle in the middle they didn't need to do that um maybe he couldn't carry the comedy parts of it i don't know um i think they did it did him a disservice by doing that um but i can't really see maybe timothy dalton could carry this one off but i can't really see the others carrying it off as well and maybe it just needed that the fact that he was fresh and didn't wasn't coming with any baggage to actually really pull this one off so yeah um yeah so what holds up well it's just a great movie. I'm going to make a controversial statement of my own here. We'll never know if Daniel Craig could have done it because I think the Bond films, I used to blame him and I don't anymore because I've seen Daniel Craig in enough other things now to know that he can act. He's good. Oh, God, like yeah, he's him. a great actor. Yes. I like yeah. him. They make him the Bond that we don't really like that much in the in the in his movies, and I, that's unfortunate because in other things, my gosh, watch Logan Lucky, <laughs> watch <laughs> Knives Out. I mean, um, I would have liked to have seen him try something like this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he could have pulled it off or not. I don't know, but I would have liked to have seen them at least give him a chance to do something besides Robo Bond. You know, I just yeah. I wish he could have been able to at least try it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And and I'll tell you this, there are parts of this movie that Pierce Brosnan would have killed. Oh yeah. Yeah. The whole Piz Gloria thing, he'd have been hilarious in it. He'd have been awesome with his yeah, he charm. Would. Yeah. Yeah. He's so with those girls. Oh. He yeah. would have killed it. But I agree that Lazenby all the way around does a great job with it, and he's very much underappreciated. I agree. And I'll say this, you mentioned him being overdubbed, and that would be it's it's unfortunate, but I would say it would be more unfortunate, except he's far from the only actor they did that to in the Bond series. They overdubbed almost everybody in these movies. Well, even in this one, they they, they dubbed uh, Draco, Mark Andre Draco. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's just a thing they did back then for whatever reason. Yeah, 
So, huh. Okay. Um, for me, a couple of things. What age the best? I thought the opening casino segment, because we were reintroduced to a new Bond in the same way that we were introduced to the first Bond, right? We see him at the in a casino playing the same game, Shimon de Fer, Baccarat, mm-hmm. whatever, um, with a beautiful brunette and, and, uh, and being in a weird situation. And that one, in the first one, what he, he had to leave and they do the whole, it was just getting interesting thing. Uh, that's fresh on my mind because Mira and I just saw it at the theater a couple of days ago when right. we went to the 60th anniversary. And in this one, he has to actually rescue her because she bets yeah. she keeps doing reckless things on purpose, and she's like, "How many times are you going to keep inter- you know rescuing me?" So I liked all of that. I thought that was really, I thought that's timeless. It was good in Doctor No, and it's good here, and it's good in uh, Casino Royale to a certain degree. Um, the other thing I thought really aged really well is is the fight editing because you you mentioned some of the other things, but I love the fight editing. They they did a little bit of it on Thunderball, for example, and they do it really well here, where they just they don't waste time in between action shots. They're just like right. the fights are bang, 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 almost like a strobe yeah. light. Yeah, the interesting here because it was directed by Peter Hunt, who'd been the editor up until that point. But the right. editor on this, well, the editor on this one is John Glenn. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. Then went to do five five Bond movies as, as director, so. It's definitely got that lineage, the Peter yes. Hunt, John Glenn action sequence stuff. So, yeah. And again, Lazenby was very physical. He did a lot of his own stunts. He did a lot of his own fight scenes. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love the uh, the physicality in this one. I think yeah. that holds up really well. For sure. So what's aged the worst about this one? Uh, unfortunately, we're coming back to the same thing. Um, a little bit of the misogyny, especially Draco's oh. conversation about Tracy when he says to Bond that she needs, you know, a man to dominate her. It's like, ah, that doesn't age well. She doesn't um, need mental health assistance. She needs a man to dominate man her. To to dominate her. To her. The interesting thing is, is, you know, Bond's actually pushing back against that and saying, no, yes. you know, yes. so that, that, um, the, the swinging sixties bed hopping stuff. Yeah. It's very much <laughs> of its time. Um, it is. That's but, true. Uh, but actually the thing that for me that doesn't hold well is the, is the bobsled chase at the end. Um, because originally it was going to be a cable car fight until mm. where Eagle Stair went and did it. Uh-huh. And then they hastily rewrote the end um, and did the bobsled fight, uh, bobsled chase. And um, one of the things I found out recently is what they, what's actually on film is not what they storyboarded and planned because they were having so many accidents oh, no. trying to film the various sequences that what we actually get is a cut-together sequence compilation of all the accidents they have. <laughs> And then they tried to make a cohesive scene out of that. Um, and, of course, you've got the 1960s back projection, which doesn't hold up on a 4K TV on no. Blu-ray. Um, so, yeah, for me, that that bobsled chase doesn't really hold up that well. It, and it's a bit incoherent. And I think that's because they were basically trying to compile a scene from bits of cut-together footage. We may have talked about this before, but there's another thing I noticed, and I noticed it even more because I have, like, the Apple Restored copy on, on my iPad. So right. I get really high clarity and everything. There's a lot of purple in this movie. Oh yeah, there's there is a purple throughout it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess that's yeah. on the, her. Majesty's. The royal, the royal purple is yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's very yeah. much a theme throughout. Yeah. I think we talked about that before, but I'd kind of forgotten, and it just started jumping out at me from scene to scene. I'm like, there's a lot of purple in this movie. I'd forgotten. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The worst for me is the slapping the women around. The the part where he uh, 
grabs Tracy and like almost breaks her arm, and she's like, "You're hurting me," yeah. and he's like, "I don't do more," you know. And it, yeah, we don't we don't need a lot of that. But that's that was the '60s and 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 so forth. Um, do we have a double taking pigeon? I don't know that I have a double taking pigeon moment, most cringeworthy moment in this movie. This movie doesn't have a lot of double taking pigeon moments. I I do. Okay. It's the kilt dropping. It's the kilt dropping moment. Um, it's played for cheap laughs with stereotyping that I think went way over the proportion of the audience who just wouldn't get it, what it was about. So I just think it's cringeworthy. It makes me cringe every time. So I, I guess I'm going to say when, when Sir Hillary quote unquote leaves and, um, one of the women says, well, we know what he's allergic to. I'm <laughs> like, Oh <laughs> And it's just doubly so because it's James Bond of all people. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. But that wasn't as bad as like a double taking pigeon or a slide whistle. So good for good for this. No, no, movie. no, 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 no. But it, 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 I don't know. It just makes me go. Uh, yeah. For sure. All right. What about your best Bond moment from this movie? We're almost to the end of the categories. Well, I think there's a couple of obvious ones. Uh, Bond's knife throwing entrance into Draco's office, I think, is cool. Um, the machine gun slide at Peace Glory when he's sliding along the on his belly with firing the machine gun. But actually, my mind, my personal one is his escape from the cable car winding room. Because yeah. um, um, I, I think it's a great combination of his observational skills. I love the way he gets his watch out and his time in the cable car runs and what, what the cables are doing. His uh, MacGyvering, his improvisation, pulling his pockets out and making them into gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know the skills George actually do most of the stunt work, and I think he threw a plan. He doesn't just drop and run away, but he climbs back into Peace Gloria to get some more intelligence and to find the right gear to escape in the snow. He just doesn't like escape and run away. It's like okay, I need if I'm going to get away from here, I need skis, I need ski outfits. So he sort of works his way back in, and so the combination of all those things, I think, is just great spy skill, spy craft um, from Bond putting that all together to escape from, from that cable car room. So for me, that's one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is that sequence. Yeah. And I just pick up there. I think the whole ski chase, the car chase, there's like a, like a 20 minute sequence. It seems like yeah. longer than that, that goes from here all the way through um, with so much going on, just a lot of action, one thing after another. So like you were saying, there are other elements, of this movie, but when it does finally get to the action segment, or sequence, you know, the action portion that you you get quite a quite an extended uh, dose of it. There is one other scene though that I think is a really great James Bond moment, and that is, you know, we had gotten we, we had kind of gotten to the point of when Bond would see Money Penny in the outer office, it would be five seconds. There's a joke, there's a double entendre, and then he goes in to see him, right? Just bang, mm-hmm. bang, bang. This movie, he stops and has a conversation with her, and it's a longer scene, and he even kisses her. Yep. So I was, and there's the whole thing about her doing the letter of resignation, and she changes it to a request for two weeks of leave. There's a lot of tender stuff in there. It's, I mean, it seems like most of the Bonds just play her for a quick laugh, and this version, there's, there's real tenderness and affection in there, it seems like. And at the end, I think that thing where he tosses the hat and she holds the hat and she sort of crushes the hat as she watches him leave and after he's after the wedding and stuff. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot in that 
yeah. unstated in it, but it's it's played really well. More than any other Bond movie, yeah. I would argue. Yeah. I yeah, no, I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that it's there. All right. So this... Uh, bro- all right. Do we want to look at the rankings? Well, we've got our overall rating of this movie on a scale of 1 to 10. Do we do that Ten. first or do we do that different first? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. So what... So what... So... No surprise, my overall rating is is a nine out of ten. Nine, okay. So it's your favorite yeah. one, but it's a nine. Yeah, it's not quite perfect. Mainly oh. the mainly mainly the uh, the dubbing uh, of George in the middle, I think, All drops right. it down. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. So we're never going to get a ten then. Nope. We're never going to get a Jaws from you, and we're never going to get a ten. <laughs> Spoilers. Spoilers. Um, I gave this one an eight, which is really high for me because I never would have dreamed a few years ago that I would have it anywhere near that high. But over the years, watching it, appreciating it, discussing it with you, discussing it with Jared, discussing it with other Bond fans, I've come to appreciate it way more. And uh, and like I said, I'd only really seen it in its original form, more or less, you know, probably 2006 when those DVDs came out was the first time I ever actually saw the whole dang thing. So... It's really grown on me pretty rapidly over the last few years, so I gave it an eight, and I th- an eight's pretty good okay. for this. All right, okay. So what well, we, how does uh, it look? So, so mathematically, you came out at seven point four two, mm. so close. Uh, and like I said, I gave it a nine subjectively, and mathematically, I got an eight point one seven. So we were we were both pretty close to yeah, yeah. All right. We felt so it. here's what I'm curious about: Are you able to tell me did my average number there? come out higher than you only live twice uh no all right i was like you're only live twice you got seven seven point eight three this was a seven point four two so i gotta say if if i say that one's my favorite and then this one comes out higher we have a problem no you, you you've now got this one ranked actually fourth really so they're yeah. all pretty close then yeah you got you only live twice, Thunderball, Goldfinger, and then it will be on a Majesty's Secret Service. You know, all right. I'll the only thing I'll comment about that is I would probably I like this one better than Goldfinger. Yeah. So Goldfinger came out higher, but it was probably some peripheral stuff. In terms of actual movie, I'd rather watch this movie than watch Goldfinger. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that of all the movies we've watched so far, Goldfinger is my least favorite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean Mira and I really enjoyed Dr. No the other night. And I can't tell you how many times she and I have watched it before. But that's just a solid movie. That movie just holds up. It's good. It does, yeah. yeah. People forget. Yeah. All right. Cool. Any, fi- any final? I, I, somehow I don't think our scores are going to be quite so high for the next one. <sighs> we're going to 1971, and we're bringing back Sean Connery and his rat. <laughs> <laughs> And in Tiffany downtown Case. Las Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> um, yeah, for uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Um, and But we do get Mr. Went and Mr. Kid. That could give it yeah. a little boost. That could give it a little yeah. boost. And uh, Baja California. There's a few things in it that are notable, that <laughs> yeah. are fun. So. Oh, yeah. It's got its moments. It does. I'm telling you, every other Sunday for like four years, it was on <laughs> ABC, Sunday night, prime time. So I've seen that movie probably. It's not one I set out to see a bunch, but I've probably seen it more than any other Bond movie just because it was always on TV. They ABC loved that movie. It just had it had Sean Connery, and it was Vegas, and they just couldn't show that dang thing enough. So, all right. 
So we will reconvene in a few weeks. But Alan and I are going to see each other next week at Dragon Con. How exciting is that, man? Yeah, that's great. And we're going to be talking Bond a couple of times, too. Yeah. Well, you're on a, pa- a panel reviewing the most recent Bond movie, and then we're on a, together on an anniversary of Bond panel. Yeah. Yeah, which should be fun. So yeah. if yeah, if any of you guys out guys yeah. and gals out there are going to be at Dragon Con in Atlanta on Labor Day weekend, uh, Alan and I are on the what 60th anniversary of James Bond panel in the Brit oh. Track. Yep. Yeah. There we go. And um, we will be hanging around. I'll probably be annoying Fan and Jared by hanging around their booths. I um, hope you. I hope you to see you there. All all you want. Yeah. As much as you so want. It should be cool. And and by the way, um, if you do come out. I can be found, if you're looking for my number, it's table 436 on Pop Artist Alley. So if you go to Pop Artist Alley, I think this is the fourth floor of the Merchandise Mart 2. Table 436. Alan will probably be there. Jared will be right next to me. I'll be there. I imagine uh, Kathy Bright will probably be around a lot. Uh, maybe Delvin. Who knows who all will be there. We'll see who all shows up. So looking forward to it, Alan. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Ranking the Bonds will return. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.